Welcome to The Fight with Teddy Atlas, presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the voice of all combat sports and legendary author, the great Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? I'm good, Ken. I just finished, you know, it's funny, I was. I feel like I was in a ballpen, like a pitcher warming up. Uh, just did a podcast with our friend John Anik, just a great person, great commentator for UFC. He's He's one of the best. Um, commentators in any sport I think anyway he's so smooth he's he's knowledgeable he does his homework obviously the UFC has a great team with all the guys they have over there with Rogan and with DC and and just one after another um, Bisbane and I mean it's it's a murderous row like I've said once before it literally is a murderous row because those guys can murder you you know so it, it, it truly is but he had me on his podcast this morning, so I was doing that, like I said, getting ready for us, and it was just nice. It was nice, as I always say, it's not a difficult formula for me. I just want to be around good people, and it was, uh, and, and obviously competent people, too, that helps, but um, just nice to be around him and, and his partner, uh, Kenny, uh, and, and then he had a guest come on in the middle of it. Uh, because I guess we kept going longer than that happens. I think our fans know that, that sometimes we go longer than we anticipate to go, especially me. So we uh, we wound up having Ray Longo, the, the great MMA coach, come on. Uh, in the middle, I, I was supposed to be gone, but I was still there. And so we talked together a little bit. He asked some interesting questions. We talked about, you know, what would it be if I could pick out one or two items from a technical standpoint that I thought that the MMA world could improve on? The one that stuck out to me was just defense. You know, that these guys are so offensive-oriented that, you know, and they're such monsters and so tough that, you know, defense comes second. And, you know, it's something that, uh, you know, it, it, everybody could be better defensively. But for me to be asked to pick out one thing, I, I thought it was that it was that part of it, the, the defensive part. You know who sticks out to me when you say that is uh, Dustin Poirier. I feel like he slips the punches and is really comfortable in the pocket bobbing and weaving. And he's his gotten hands better, too. Up. He's gotten yeah, better. Yeah, much. But, but, but yeah. again, that's part of... As part of what is automatic or, or there with MMA and UFC in particular, that's not there with boxing. They get put in with good fights where you learn, you have to get better. Where some of these guys for their first 20 fights in boxing, we've talked about it forever, where their record's getting better and fatter and maybe their paycheck is getting bigger but they're not getting better fighting the guys that they're put out in front. They're not improving. They're not being forced to improve. They're not being forged in the fire, you know, in the mental aspects of it or the technical or physical aspects of it. You know, they're just going through guys that are, shouldn't be in the ring with them 
To a certain That's extent. the interesting thing, Teddy, about MMA is that even when you're in the amateur ranks in the early days of the pros, you never know who you're going to be in with. You could be in with a guy who was a world champion jiu-jitsu black belt. And if you don't have if you don't have elite level jiu-jitsu, you will not survive. You might get a guy who was a Golden Gloves boxer and you've been boxing for 12 months. You are not going to survive with a guy who's a master at any one of those crafts. So the point is, you have to be on your toes from the jump in boxing. We've seen it. They're giving guys... They're giving real competent professional fighters, like you'd say, cannon fodder. Guys that should not be in a professional They're not getting shouldn't better. be sparring See, these, partners. Yep. These are guys that come from the amateurs that might have won the Olympics or the Nationals. They've been fighting top fighters in the amateurs for years. And now they're, they're downgrading. They're putting them in with guys that they wouldn't get in the ring with in the amateurs. Because they we're going to talk about some was, examples They would of say that. it's beneath them. They would say, yeah, unfortunately, because it's actually on TV. They would actually say it's beneath them. I'm not fighting that guy. I, I'm past that. You know, I'm, I, I'm not going to gain anything from that. But, you know, in the pros, it changes, of course, and they want to build their records and make money. And, and, and the partners of the promoters, the network, that's their sugar daddy. So they want to keep their sugar daddy happy by having undefeated, you know, glossy records. But... The who suffers? The fighter suffers. He don't necessarily get as good as he should get. But at, well, he's already good. He comes from you know gold medal, silver medal, whatever. He's already good. He had two hundred amateur fights. He already knows how to fight to a certain level. But he's not. He's not. It's it's. He's not going. It's like taking a good piece of clay and you mold it and you mold it. You got it. It looks good and and you got the design you want. But now you got to put it in the oven and you bake it so it so it hardens, right? So so yep. it it lasts. It doesn't break, and they they don't get that part of it, you know. They so a lot of times they're not getting better. They they're not getting better technically, and they're definitely not getting better psychologically where they're getting stronger in that area, where the only way you get stronger in that area is by being tested in degrees. I'm not saying, you know, all at once, but to be tested in degrees, where you get fortified in a mental area. You become stronger. You become more resilient. You become more dependable. You're going to need that trait down the road in the pros. So, And sometimes they don't get that, but they get it in the UFC. So anyway, we had a nice conversation was with John Anik. It was his partner, Ken. Um, what's his last name? Ken. Um, Kenny Florian. Yeah, great guy. And uh, from what I understand, he was a great fighter, tough guy. And, great. And then, you know, like I said, the, the trainer, Ray, who... Ray Longo. Yeah, very, very obviously successful at what he does. Uh, very well respected. And we just had a nice conversation it was funny because john disappeared he disappeared for a couple minutes and we just kept going you know and then he came back about 10 minutes teddy i'm sorry i had to run i i i normally would never do that but i got a call from to go on with stephen a smith on first take i said hey that's one guy who could talk more than me go ahead uh, <laughs> steven's the best you know and and again you know it's funny it, it sounds like i'm 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 being silly almost, but another good person. Yeah, I know he could talk. 
I know that he and knows, a friend friend of the show, a former a guest of the show. I know that he has a large vocabulary, and he actually knows what those words mean. Um, <laughs> but he's also a good human being, and for me, that's you know that that that's what you're looking for. That's what well, let me tell for. everyone, if you like what Teddy has to say, you'd like to hear some more stories. We've got a ton of fights to cover, so I'm going to jump in here and tell everyone. If you want to hear more from Teddy, please go to audible.com. Check out Teddy's audiobook, Atlas, From the Streets to the Ring, A Son's Struggle to Become a Man. Also available in paperback. Check it out. There it is. If you're watching on YouTube, boom. Um, Teddy, I could talk. we could talk about One other um, thing about stories. the weekend. Yes. Just uh, UConn won the national title last week. You know, we. Oh, we, yeah. I can't believe I forgot about talking no, about that. Yeah, because yeah, it was were, last Monday night. Yeah. yeah we, Congratulations, we, Danny Hurley. We awesome. were talking about it on the on the eve of it happening, and they won it. They, they won it in a remarkable, dominant way. They, they stormed through that tournament like nobody before. They won every game in double figures. I mean, that's. Yep. You talk about an extraordinary feat in the March Madness. Nobody does that. And, well, that's why it was never done before. But the one thing, Teddy, is I think that's worth noting here. We've talked about this before, both of us, is when you get a team like that dominant in college, remembering that we've got this transfer portal. You can leave whenever you want. The NILs, there's yeah. money involved. There's, there's nuances involved in this game like never before at the college level, meaning True. you have a constantly changing cast of characters. So True. for Danny Hurley to step in there and do what he did with this team, with these kids coming from where they were when he got there is, is it's gonna unbelievable. Be, it, it's going to be easier now because now he's the be, he's the man. They're, they're not he's the man. Care. He's and, the man and, in college and basketball. Recruiting. It's, it's very important to recruit. And they're all becoming to him now, where before it was a little more difficult because they were on Big the, time. you know, they weren't at the top the way they used to be. Uh, they they had gone down the program, and Danny brought him back up. So, listen, Danny's the man that I I I'll finish with this once again. I you you know that I talk to the team. You know that I I was involved with the team during the season, and I love the team and I love the players. And you also know that in October, after I talked to him, I said they're going to win it. And that doesn't make me a genius. Uh, it turned out that way. Um, you know, I'm not John Wooden, the basketball god, the coach that was a professor. But, you know, I just, what I was, what I was really hitching my wagon to when I said that they're going to win it after I talked to him and all, was I saw the character of the guys, and character counts. Character matters. It really matters. And it, it, it plays out not only in your personal life, but your professional life, your business life, your athletic life, whatever it is, it shows up. You know? And the character of these young men showed up. Their dependability, their care for each other, their selflessness, yeah, they they could shoot well. Yeah, they could dribble well. Yeah, they could play defense. Yeah, they could fast break. But those other elements were there too. And that's why I thought that they, I really felt like this team's going to do something special. And um, I'll finish by making a joke that it's funny. You know, remember, remember years ago that your family went to Atlantic City and they would come back with a T-shirt that said, uh, you know, my family went to Atlantic City. I got this T-shirt. You know, yeah. uh, something like that. Well, my son was smart enough to go and bet after I talked to him 
to bet UConn at 33 to 1. And he collected. Oh, man, I'm happy. So my son uh, got collected, and I got a nice sweatsuit, a UConn sweatsuit. Uh, you know who didn't get? You know who didn't get a UConn sweatsuit? Me. I have to go. Come on, one. Danny. I think I got the in now. I think I, I <laughs> might. I might have a little. I got a juice. quick stat for you. I might have. A I saw juice. this. I, I I saw these guys on. Uh, pardon the interruption. And they were saying, "Do you consider UConn basketball royalty?" And the guy's like, "Hmm, good question." He goes, "Do you consider Kentucky, UCLA, North Carolina, Duke, and Indiana to be uh, royalty?" Yes, he goes, of Cause, course. Because. Because UConn's got the same amount of wins as Indiana and Duke, five. And since the 2000s, Duke has three titles, Indiana zero, Kentucky one, UCLA zero. UConn, since 1999, has five national titles. So they have four in the 2000s and five if you go back to 99. Like, I'd say from a topical standpoint, they're the powerhouse. They're the blue chip school. They've done. They've won it more than anyone else since '99 well, by far. Well, they are now. So, congrats again to Danny. I know one thing is guys are doing. They're traveling with their Athletic Greens travel packs. Go to athleticgreens.com/atlas. Get ten free travel packs with your first purchase. I'm sure the team was taking these every day when they were on the road. I take a scoop every single morning. It's an insurance policy for my body's health and immunity. Keeps you from uh, getting unnecessarily sick at times, for sure. 75 whole food sourced ingredients. You mix a scoop in the morning with water. Easy peasy, fresh and breezy. Athleticgreens.com slash Atlas. 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. Please check them out. Support the show. They support us. We love you and we want to see you be healthy. Use Athletic Greens. And uh, look what it's done for Ken. Look at him. He looks young every time I see him. And, and <laughs> healthier and stronger. And, he, and he, who knows what he did over the weekend. He probably won another marathon because this guy, that's what he does. He, he runs. I know one thing. He probably logged in about 30 miles over the weekend. What do you run? 31 miles you, between Saturday and Saturday. Uh, I did 21 miles. I did a workout to see where I was to see if I could jump in a last-minute marathon before I shut it down for a little while. So yeah. I ran two by five-mile uh, reps. I did five miles at marathon pace, 540, five miles at a 640, like floating pace, and then five miles oh, at floating. 540 again. Floating. Yeah. Floating. It's not, not working hard, but not running easy either. Yeah, you call it's it floating. Like, you call it floating. I would call <laughs> it's it, all relative. I would call it cardiac arrest. Um, but, uh, and the one other thing I want to add in is just as like the icing on the cake that UConn wanted with, and Danny Hurley, who's also a great person besides being a great coach that they wanted, it was on my daughter, Nicole's birthday. So it was a nice birthday. Prayer. We Happy went out birthday to again, Nicole. Yeah, Congrats we on the dinner. new baby. It was, it was just like, a, it was, it was nice because I told her, I, I said, know you, I said, I this you is for your birthday. Week. This is, this is part of your birthday presents of winning the national <laughs> title. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to present it that way. And, and, and I could be that, uh, forward thinking that much that I could say something that, that way that, but I said, they're going to win the title for you. They're going to, they're going to win the title for you. And I'm sure that they probably were thinking about winning it for a few other reasons too, but I'm sure my daughter Nicole um, was part of it. And I also uh, wanted to just say, I hope everyone had a happy Easter yesterday and uh, a happy Passover uh, for for the people that 
celebrate Passover. I, I hope you all had a great, we had a great day. I hope you did too, Ken, uh, with my family, everybody over Elaine doing all the cooking once again. So it was, it was great just to have a time where we could all be together and appreciate each other and love each other and all that. And um, I wanted to, what else did I want to, I think that, that covered about all. I was just going to say that everybody could have also maybe not had the success my son Teddy had with 33 to 1. But speaking of winning bets, you all could have won if you listen to our show. We'll talk about more later. Um, last week, as we picked both Adesanya to win and the under. And look, we're no different than any other normal person. If we get it right, we're going to say it. We get it wrong, we also say we got it wrong. We we always do that. But we get more right than wrong. And um, we got it right. We got the under. We got Adesanya. And if you had a little parlay with my bookie, you uh, you could have well, you could have bought a few more Easter baskets. Put it that way, uh, and and we're not promoting going out there and gambling crazy or doing. If you if you're prone to want to put a sh- couple shillings, because you have a couple extra shillings, um, that aren't gonna hurt. Uh, taking them from your pocket to put down on a bet to see if you get lucky, then you know. Hopefully you did. Hopefully we helped you just a little <laughs> bit. And hopefully you went to my bookie at mybookie.ag. Use the promo code Atlas for 50% credit on your first deposit. And we'll talk about the uh, lines on the uh, Ryan Garcia Tank Davis fight at the end of this episode, which will hey, use oh, to one promote other thing. the fight plan that we did in New York oh, at the yeah. Trinity Boxing Club for the Ryan Garcia Tank Davis fight. That was an incredible fight plan. What the hell? We'll just address it now. We did the fight plan next week. Don't make make sure, please check out. I believe it comes out on Wednesday, uh, roughly the nineteenth. I believe Thursday, be, Wednesday or Thursday before the fight, which is April twenty second. Ryan Garcia, Tank Davis, one of the biggest fights in the last couple of years. Yeah. Two guys at the peak of their career. Teddy did an awesome job breaking down what each guy has to do to win the fight. So did you? So please look for that on our YouTube channel. And if you're gonna bother to go there, just do us a favor, hit the subscribe button. You don't get emails. You don't get any BS. You just get to see us all the time on your subscription page. That's it. What do you got, Teddy, before we jump into these fights? No, I, I just wanted to say that when we, I was talking to John Anik and Ken on their great podcast that they have this morning, they um, John brought up that we once again hit the big screen with uh, our tweets, you know, that and I and I and they started laughing because I said, you know, fifty years in a business, forty years on TV, and I still get excited. They started laughing. I still get excited when you guys put my tweets up, <laughs> and <laughs> and you know, so we 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 had a little laugh about that, um, couple giggles, but I just wanted to say my Twitter team, tweet team, whatever is the proper way to to put it. Brennan Wood, Ian Mackey, Rob Moore, uh, they did once again. Once again, we hit Broadway. We hit the big stage. They put it up (laughs) on lights. So that's all. Let's go. Let's go. Nice job. All right, let's jump into the boxing. Let's start over on um, 
Showtime. By the way, before we get into it, there is a friggin' obviously we have no uh, affiliation or, or love for any particular network or promoter, but uh, you know that there is an incredible, you and I haven't even spoken about this or, on voice or text, there is an awesome documentary on, on Showtime. It just came out this weekend called Catching Lightning about Lightning Lee Murray, a UFC, former UFC fighter who robbed a, not a bank, but like a, a, a money depot in right outside of London in Kent, England. 20, I think I, I just started watching it. Up to 20 million pounds. Wow. Think about that. In, in hard currency, it's an incredible documentary. I've been watching it with my wife at night. I can't recommend it strongly enough. Again, no affiliation. I don't care if you watch it or not, but I have freaking loved this thing. This kid, Lee Murray, holy shit, what a nut this guy is. He's fighting in the street. He's getting stabbed. He's kicking ass in the ring. Uh, what a story. Anyway, uh, one of my bit favorite fighters, unfortunately, got stopped it sounds, this week. It sounds I more know. exciting. I had to throw this in there. It sounds more entertaining <laughs> and exciting than some of Showtime's fights. But but I go, you know what? I'd go so far but as to I'm say gonna, it's better than all But I'm going to be fair. I'm, no, but I'm going to be fair. They get some good ones. They get some good ones. Mm -hmm. and they're, and Even they're a blind squirrel finds a nut sometimes. Uh, no, they, they do. They get some. They do Unless it all, it's a pay-per-view, it it's very hard to get a good well, one. Well, they do it all these promoters. Listen, they, they, their boss is the promoter. They're, they take their orders, some of them, well, a little more so, Showtime definitely, but they take their orders from whoever the the boss is you know over showtime it's Heyman, and and you know at espn it's aram and you know over the zone Show, it's aram is espn aram is espn yeah. showtime yeah. is uh Heyman. no that's what i said i said showtime well, is Heyman. Said no no yeah and and um so and espn is aram and eddie hearn is, is the zone and you know there's only a handful of those power brokers uh, that run things in boxing, and for the most part, on a regular basis, we've said this a million times. They they're building up their guys to make their partners their their sugar daddies. You know, at the network who give them the money, they want to make them happy. So they want to have champs, they want to have belts, they want to have you know undefeated fighters. So they they feed the raw meat, and uh, who suffers? The sport suffers, but the fans because every week. You got to watch these one-sided fights. But then every once in a while, they give you a, a competitive one. And, and we're very grateful. Matter of fact, we're so grateful. We're kind of like talking about holidays. We're, we're kind of like on a Thanksgiving where you, 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 you're cutting the meat off the bone. You know, you, you want to get every bit of it. Oh, man, there's a little more meat here. Let me, let me cut it off. I mean, when you get those good ones... You're very appreciative, you know, to to really enjoy it. But there's there's a reason why UFC has surpassed them on the regular ratings. We're not talking about when you put the big big stars in boxing on. That, that still gets the biggest numbers. But when you when you week in and week out, you flip through surfing on your on the channels and you see these one-sided fights, you keep going. But then uh, UFC, you pretty much can depend on a competitive fight week in and week out, week in and week out. You know, you don't have to only wait for the iconic fights. You don't only have to wait for the, you know, the the huge fights, the pay-per-view fights. You know, when, when you're just watching 
like I said, their weekly shows, um, boxing is spending more time feeding their future prospects, you know, soft meals to build their record, you know, to make, to make, you know, to, to know that they have undefeated fighters and future champions. They're more busy doing that than putting on competitive fights. You only get them, you get them very rarely. Yeah, well, speaking of competitive fights, I don't think that the Fandora camp, and Fandora is one of my favorite fighters. I've never met him. I have nothing to do with him, but I like his personality. I like his, his style. Heart. He's, He's six, always shown heart. Yeah. He, he talks well. And and what you like I is his, his... I think his sister fights. I'll tell you what else you like. like a nice kid. You like his flaws. What do I mean by that? He gets hit enough and has to overcome enough in fights to bring some excitement just with his flaws because he's got a lot of flaws, defensive flaws. So you like that, and he would always win, and he would always overcome. And and he was 6'6", had 154 pounds, so he was a freak in in a good way. I'm not uh, knocking him by you now, but he was... You know, something that you don't usually see. Wow, let's see how good this guy could be. You know, he's six foot six and he's 154 pounds, and the other guys are, they look like midgets next to him. They look like little tiny people next to him. You know, let's, let's see if, uh, how far. And unfortunately, that train has come into the station and it's off the track now. And I don't know. I don't know that you want to watch him anymore. For, for, no, of course he. I, I like his hard work comes from a blue collar Mexican American family. He's a great on the Coachella kid. Valley. He's a great with kid. But, but the 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 gloss is off the rose. Like Ken. Well, for sure. One of the reasons you watched him was that it was something different. That yeah. he was six six, and and he would give you an entertaining fight, and you know, but he was undefeated. And how good could I, he I liked his personality too in the interviews. He was just like a intelligent. Uh, no, all of that. Very, oh, very but, but, used his, chose his words wise. But the unique part crazy. of it was he was undefeated. Yes. How good could his he style. be? And now you yeah. got that answer to a certain extent. You know, he still got a chance to go further like anyone else. But uh, you know, a, a loss doesn't end your career or define you. What you do after that will define you. How you behave from that will define you. But they got a they got a real situation because part of the audience watched him because he was undefeated, it was big, and they have a true problem to overcome with him because I said it. Warner Wolf, the great commentator, sports commentator, he used to coin the phrase go to the videotape for proof. Go to the videotape, he used to say. Well, I'm going to say go to the videotape. Ken, it was yeah, probably about... let me set about, it up for you. It was probably... Let me set it up for you. So, yeah, so Brian Mendoza uh, in with Sebastian Fandora. Uh, Fandora looked okay in spots, but Mendoza was really taking his time. Let me see the round where they got the stoppage. Seventh round. Seventh round, um, Mendoza clipped him with a hook and then just moved in. And it was almost like Fandora Fandora was out on his feet and he's so tall and so big. And Mendoza just came back in. Yeah, Yeah, Mendoza just... Came back in, finished them with a two-punch combination, and when he went down, you see anytime the guy's momentum carries him down, his head bounces off the canvas, it's over. Like, similar to like when a guy face plants in, in a fight. Like if, if his face hits the ground before his hands, 
it's lights out. He ain't getting back up. And uh, unfortunately for Fundora, end of the road there. So break it down, Teddy. What happened? No, what I was starting to say was this. Go to the videotape. Probably about eight, nine months ago. I'm not sure. Fundora had just fought. And I came on our show, this show. And I said, he's going to get knocked out. It's in his future. His future is to get knocked out before he goes any further. I don't know. Maybe after that, he'll become a better fighter. Maybe. Some people, they do. But I say he's going to get knocked out. Why did I say that? Why did I feel strongly? He was just an accident waiting to happen. Because nobody taught this guy. Everyone thought it was great. Oh, he's a tall guy and he fights with you tooth and nail and he fights inside. As a trainer, I didn't think it was great. And again, go to the videotape. I don't want to hear nobody. Oh, yeah, Teddy, you're saying that you're being a Monday morning quarterback. No, I'm not being a Monday nah, morning you've been quarterback. Saying, you've been saying that since I've been beating the drum on him, telling you I like him, and you have said exactly that. And, and here's the thing. You're six foot six. You shouldn't be engaging guys on the inside. You could do it in spots, but you're, you're not going to make your living that way. You shouldn't be making your living that way. It should be on the outside. Nobody taught him how to use those physical attributes of long arms, and height. Nobody taught him. So the reason I said he's going to get knocked out, I'll tell you why. Because once you get close, which guys are going to get close, they are. And he lets them get close. He doesn't mind. Once you get close, and he's a fighter, definitely a fighter, a fighter not just in license, but in behavior. But once the shorter guy gets close to you, now everything that was an advantage actually becomes a liability. Those physical assets that started off as a, a physical edge, now they are, they, as I said, they're a liability because now there's a lot of target to hit. Now you got a guy standing straight up and it's like a skyscraper, a building. And there's a lot of windows to break. And somebody's going to break them. And I'll tell you another problem. Now you got the shorter arm guy who can deliver the punch because he's shorter armed faster and harder than you can with the longer arms when you're in a close vicinity. Now you at a disadvantage with your height and with the length of your arms for the two reasons I just explained. And nobody dealt with that nobody nobody they kept going kept going kept going and again i said it i said it nine months ago and then maybe three months later i said it's gonna happen again after he won another fight he got hurt he got dropped he got hit whatever he got off the floor he showed great heart you know and but he's gonna get knocked out because nobody is correcting these correctable flaws and there's no teachers out there I don't know who's trainer. His father's involved, whatever. But uh, And look, they got him to a certain point. Part of it was matchmaking. Part of it was heart. Part of it was power. Part of it was his skill sets. Yes, I give him credit for all that. But this day of reckoning was always coming to me if you know anything about the business. And I do know something about the business. I, I should. I've been in it 50 years. If I don't, like Customato would have said, you know what, Teddy, go across the street and sell cherry ices. Uh, you don't know about boxing by now. You better know about it and the insides and the outsides, not just the X's and O's, the psychological parts, all of it. And 
he he again it was just it wasn't a matter if to me it was a matter of when is this going to happen and he's winning the fight easily easily but i had tweeted with my great tweeting team about two rounds earlier, Ken, I don't know if you saw it, about two, I was going back and forth between UFC, I'm trying to please all of you. I, I, I'm trying to please you all, so you don't get mad at me and Ken. So I'm going back and forth between UFC, boxing, ESPN, Showtime boxing, you know, pay-per-view ESPN, um, uh, uh, UFC, and then I'm peeking back and forth, and I, I see of peak that's all i need that mendoza is way behind he's losing he's you know he's losing it's getting into the later part of the fight now it's starting and what do i tweet i tweet even though mendoza is way behind fantora is way ahead he won every round i think i said the danger is not over because of the flaw that fantora has where he stands straight up like a tall... I actually use those words in the tweet. He stands up like a tall building where there's windows to break. I said, so the danger is still there. And one round, two rounds later, I flip back and he's getting he's getting cracked and, and knocked out. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Wow. I called that one right. I mean, I, I'm not... I, I feel bad for him. That I had he I had to be right at his peril, but again it wasn't. I didn't really have to be, you know, a soothsayer. I didn't have to be the Mason Kreskin as I used to say on ESPN. It was so obvious to me, and sure enough, what happens? He gets close. You know, I know he threw the uppercut from too far away, created a hole, but. It wasn't even that because it was the other side. He threw with the other hand. It was the other hand wasn't up, wasn't secure. His technique was flawed. His habits were flawed. But he was standing straight up like a lantern in the storm. <laughs> and and the left hook cracked him. And you know what hurt him? What really hurt him was he would have been better off going right down. Then he would have got an eight-second, you know, reprieve. He, who knows? He could have cleared the cobwebs maybe, but he got frozen, and he just got frozen there, as you said, Ken. And then the, a big right hand and another follow-up punch came and crashed in, and it was over. He went down. And the weird thing about it, I know people that actually thought he quit, which is absurd, but I, I, get, the, I get the perception of it because when he went down, he sat there, and and when he sat there, it gave the perception that he didn't try to get up. He couldn't get up. His wires were disconnected. I, I think what really truly happened was, you know, just like having a short circuit where the light starts to flicker in your house, where the current's not running through, that he was sitting there, but he was gone. It was an empty vessel. It was a ghost ship. You know, the body was there, but there was nothing inside. He was gone. And he's sitting there, and I don't think he was aware of what was going on, even aware of that he was being counted out. He was, he was obviously removed from his consciousness, even though he was conscious to the eye. But 
in the way that it matters, he was not conscious, you know, in the, in the true way that it matters. Uh, it, was, it was strange. It was very, it, it was unusual to see the way that it unfolded uh, and the way it finished. But again, the one thing that was not shocking at all was that even when I tweeted, yeah, he's winning easy, but there's still there's still storm clouds in the air because there's always storm clouds in the air with a guy like him who has those defensive flaws. And um you know, he he paid the ultimate price. He got he got caught. And now what's going to happen now? Like I said, I'm being honest. He's not the novelty he was. Now that don't mean he can't come back because part of the attraction to me was he was always in exciting fights and he was a gutsy kid. But also, it was because he was tall and he was undefeated. So that's gone now. So he's he's going to have to, you know, resurrect himself. And it's going to start with something that I don't know if it can happen. Because if it could have happened, it would have happened already. What is that? Correcting the flaws. Correcting the flaws. Now that has to happen. You know, I, I used to laugh at these commentators when he was coming up. They go, oh, he's got a chin. He's got a great... I said, just wait until he don't. Wait until the one day the wrong guy hits him or the right guy hits him. Then you're not going to be saying that, you idiots. You better hide that chin. You, instead of, <laughs> you better hide instead of bragging about, oh, he's got a chin. So it don't matter that he's six foot 20. You know, he's eight foot four and, and he fights inside and you can hit him. Of course it matters, you morons. You know, oh, he absorbs it, he eats it. You know, no, he ain't going to eat it. He ain't going to absorb it. One day you're going to see, you dope. And and I used to <laughs> I used to just drive me crazy. I'd hear these guys, you know, saying, oh, yeah, this is the way he fights and this is right for him. No, it's not. No, it's not. Just because he was getting away with it doesn't mean it was right for him at that height. And standing straight up like a totem pole, you know, uh, like like a flagpole. And when the storms comes, where's the electricity gonna hit? The flagpole, <laughs> because it's up high. Same yeah. thing. Anyway, uh, it was so sudden. It was dramatic. It was one of those sudden, sensational moments. Uh, the fight was one-sided, quite frankly, up to that point. And, uh, he, uh, you know, you got to be happy for Mendoza. Obviously, Very. you know, great, great for him and his career, uh, you know. But um, hopefully he comes back. Hopefully the guy can correct. Uh, I don't, uh, you know, again, it's it going to be what I said. So... Yep. Well, let's talk about um, a fight that wasn't close from the start, from the moment it was announced until the moment it ended. Shakur Stevenson totally dominates at lightweight over Shichiro Yoshino on uh, ESPN. Um, not much to talk about here other than the fact that it was a one-sided beatdown versus an opponent who wasn't really, shouldn't really been in there with him. At this point, Shakur has like wiped out all the like anyone who's not in the very, very top tier upper echelons of the division. 
So, and then after the fight, he called out Devin Haney. He says he's been getting the best of Devin Haney for years in the ring as amateurs and inspiring. So uh, that sets up an excellent uh, grudge match. These guys will have a lot of mutual friends, so that should be interesting. Don't even you, like you the, call uh, them out. I'll be honest, because part of the reason we don't get the fights we want, you can't always blame the fighter. Some Part of the reason we don't get the fights is because of the promoter. Because if they're not with the same promoter, they're not going to fight them because they can't control both ends and make all the money and, you know, be, as I said, in control. So they won't go across the street and make the right fight with another promoter because, you know, they won't risk that. Either promoter won't do that. But the reason this could be made is they're both with top rank. You know, Haney yep. used to be with the zone, with... with um with what's his name with Hearn and give Hearn credit he built him up he did a hell of a job with him but you know when uh, to get the title fight he had to make a deal he had to leave Hearn he had to go over to ESPN to get the title fight Hearn said go ahead go over there do what you need to do for your career and so he went over to ESPN uh, you know to get the fight against Cambosis who was signed with ESPN and now that fight can't be made because they're both with the same promoter. So, yeah, it can. And that's what I want to see. I don't want to see Stevenson with anybody. And I'm not picking on him. I don't want to see him with anyone but the elite guys. The same way as I said, I don't want to see Fury, Tyson Fury, or uh, with anyone but the elite guys, or Joshua with anyone but the elite guy, or Canelo, with any, or the older Charlo brother, uh, the middleweight. I don't want to see any of them anymore unless they're in with the top guys. I don't want to see these hand-picked, and this was a hand-picked, and I don't want to see no more of these contrived BS pieces that, that one of their guys, whatever, he's not a boxing expert, he's one of the writers, but, and I get it, okay, he don't know as much about boxing. The fighters, their former fighters that are commentators at EFPN, they know about boxing. But I don't want to, I know that he, that they get a writer who can put words together and he can and he can narrate uh, narrate a, a good piece. But really, I don't want to hear. I get it that they got to sell, and I get it they got to howl for their meals. I get it that they they're working for you know the, their money. Uh, so they gotta they gotta build guys up so you'll watch. But I don't want to. Just like I said, I don't want to see these fighters like Stevenson in there with these hand-picked fights that I know what it's going to be at the end. I don't want to waste my time with that anymore. I don't want to hear these pieces, these contrived pieces that they do, you know, that these film pieces that go three, four minutes, five minutes long, you know, building up. You, um, in this case, it was... No, it was Yoshino. It was, it oh, was yeah. the opponent. Building him up like how good he is or why we should, even though he's always fought in Japan and we haven't heard about this guy. That doesn't mean nothing. This guy, that, this guy's the guy that has and, and he's And he's telling you all this stuff about why we should watch Yoshino, why Yoshino has a chance to win, why he's He's special. Why? Like, in other words, you got to watch this, you know, and and then the same thing happens. The same thing happens. The guy the guy shouldn't be in the ring. And then the same the truth always comes to the surface. When it's over with, it's like 
No, he's a hand-picked opponent. With all the, so you could have saved whatever the production cost was on <laughs> on that piece. You know, really, 50000 20000 30000 whatever it was. You had to have a truck go there. You had to fill. You could have saved the money on that piece because it was all BS. Because, and, and you know what? Just like the fans get tired of, you can't lie to them forever, where they say, oh, it's, you know, you're going to put them, these talented guys like Stevenson, so talented, so talented. You're, you're going to put them in with these handpicks. No, the fans are going to vote with their feet. They're going to they're gonna walk away. They're going to step away. The ratings are going to drop, and they have. The ratings are going to drop. Well, they're not going to believe anymore. They're, they're not going to watch the same thing with these pieces. You think the fans are that stupid? It's like, like, the like at, at a certain wolf. point, at a certain point, Ken, the fans see the same piece by uh, narrated and good words. Don't get me wrong. They, they know how to talk. The guy knows how to talk. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, just because of this, you shouldn't think this. You shouldn't think that. You should think this. And because of that, you shouldn't think that. You should. And then when it was all over with, you know what I said? Yeah, I should think it because it's the same freaking thing. The guy was handpicked. The the proof is in the pudding. When it's all over with, the referee has to stop it. The poor hapless guy has no chance at all. <laughs> Never had a chance to pour son of a gun all the way from Japan. And we had to sit through a five-minute piece saying the guy had a chance. Stop, please, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Oh, my goodness. Well, Teddy, <laughs> with so, that, before we jump into fights where actually everyone had a chance over in the UFC, I just But, but wait, let me finish this. with the Shakur oh, sorry, breakdown. Not that there's much to break down. Listen, Shakur is a good fighter. Uh, but you know what makes Shakur good? His talent, his IQ. He's a smart fighter. He's got good, good skill levels of speed and, you know, everything else. Um, and his defense, and his style. He has a very difficult style to do. Styles make fights. He don't only have talent. He's got a style that's very difficult to deal with. See, but we give the truth. That's the truth. That That is accolades. That is uh, kudos. He deserves all of that. And he had a lot of amateur fights, so he's calm in an uncommon environment. He won a silver medal in the Olympics. So he's been in there with the best in the world for a long time as an amateur with a lot of fights, a lot of experience. See, those are beautiful kudos. Now, we give the whole, we do the whole deal here, Ken. We do the whole CAT scan here. Now, here's what he's not. And it's not a knock on him. He, he's a fast-handed guy who's a good counterpuncher, a good defensive fighter, who, who's... Um, who's got a high IQ, who's got a difficult style to deal with. Here's what he's not. They're not going to tell you, but I'll tell you. And again, it's not a knock. It's me doing my job, okay? You want a tissue? You want to cry? Here, here's a tissue. Here, here, here. No, no, seriously, go cry somewhere else. But don't cry here because I'm just doing my job, okay? And... I know that most people don't tell you the truth that don't do that around you because they want to get paid. I understand. I hope you're not in a position one day where that comes back to haunt you, where you say, I wish somebody would have told me the truth. I hope you're not in that position because it's lonely, because it is. But 
God bless you. You're making a lot of money. You're becoming rich. You, you deserve it. You worked your whole life to be a fighter. But here's what he's not. Stevenson's not very exciting. Now, listen, it all depends on what your pleasure is. If you're, I've said it a million times, I'll say it real quick. If you're a guy that likes to go to a baseball game to see good pitching, hey, Shakur's your man. But if you want to go to see home runs go over the fence, he's not your man. Because what he's, but, but that doesn't make him a tremendous fighter. And he is what he's not. He's not ultra exciting. He's not a finisher. If he was a finisher, he would have got rid of the guy without the referee having to get. So he's not a finisher, you know. Uh, he's not a big puncher as much as that, you know, gets under some of their skin, some of the, it, it is what it is. He's not a big puncher. Again, he would have got rid of the guy, you know, without the referee having to finally say enough is enough. I mean, this is, this is not right. It's like getting, it's getting sadistic over here. It's like watching <laughs> one of those wacky kids pull, pull the, pull the, uh, the wings off a fly. Like who, who, who wants to watch that? I mean, that's, that's, who wants to watch that? That's, that's not competitive. That's not right. That's crazy. That's, that's a little one-sided. And so he's not a finisher. He's not a puncher. He's not tremendously exciting, you know. Um, but he's a guy that's got a style that, I'll tell you, if I had a fight, I, I wouldn't love to fight him because it's hard to look good with him. Besides hard to beat him. It's hard to even look good with him. He's a, so the fight was exactly what I thought it would be, what anyone with a brain in their head in this business would know it would be. They had a hand-picked guy, and it was, you know, he could do what he wanted. And what did he do? He controlled range very well. You come in six inches with Shakur, he goes back nine. He makes you come up short, and then he sets up counters. So he controlled range. He set up his counter punches. I'll tell you another thing he's not, and this is probably going to, and it, it's not that he couldn't be it, but he's not a consistent combination puncher. He, he throws single shots, double shots, but I, I think you, even though he's not a big banger, you'd like to see him throwing three, four, five, you know, a little bit more when he can and with this level he definitely can um and i'll tell you why he don't because he is so smart yeah i'm giving him credit because he's so cerebral his temperament is to be cautious to be careful to be responsible and there's nothing wrong with that but there's sometimes when you're in a fight where the responsible thing is to actually not be cautious to that level you no longer have to be. There's moments when you can do more. He's got to learn to recognize those moments a little more. Again, I'm, I'm here because I'm sure that's going to evoke some some sniffles or something. I don't know. I'm not sure um, with the tissue. But I got plenty of Kleenex over here. But he... So the fight progressed where... That's what it was going to be. Counter-punching, controlling range, you know. Only one guy basically getting hit for the most part. Uh, you know, and and at the end of the day, a guy that don't belong in the ring. And and I, I would think, look, he had a great crowd. That was great in his hometown of Newark. Great crowd, great crowd. 
tremendous. Again, it's good for the sport uh, to see that. But the crowd on TV wants to, they're not, they want to see something more competitive than that. And if it's not going to be a compelling style because he doesn't have a compelling style, then they want to at least see him in with somebody compelling, in there with somebody that has a chance to, you know, to threaten him. Uh, you know, and these guys don't. So, like I said, no different than the others. I'm I'm being fair right down the middle. I don't want to see Fury anymore with anyone but top guys, the top guys, whether it's Usyk, whoever. I don't want to see. I don't. I don't want to see um, uh, Canelo with anyone but the top guys anymore. I I don't want to see that anymore. You know, I don't want to see Joshua with anyone but elite guys. I don't want to see the older Canelo, you know, with anyone but top guys anymore. And I know that they have the benefit of having, you know, being a house fighter. I get the benefits that come with that. You're the house fighter and you get taken care of, you know, and they only keep it in-house. And some of it's not in your control. Some of it's not because, as I said earlier, the promoter's not going to let you fight someone he don't control. And if the fight that would be the best fight for the fans and for for us, to, you know, for the sport uh, is somewhere else, he, he, he's not going to let you do that unless you leave him. And you have a contract, so you can't leave. But in this case, you got a good fighter, one of the top guys in Haney, over there with top rank. That fight can be made. And I give credit. I give credit to Stevenson that he wants that, that he wants that fight. Of course, Haney has to get past Lomachenko uh, for that fight to have significance, you know. So, anyway, that that's the way that um, that's the way that one went. Well, like I said, let's uh, before we jump into all the um, action in the UFC, and we had a great card on Saturday night from Miami. I just want to point out to everyone, if you like what you're hearing about the breakdowns here, you can check out all Teddy's tips and advice advice and opinions at Dynamic Striking. Go to dynamicstriking.com, search the Teddy Atlas series. There's about 15 videos over there breaking down every combination, every punch you can imagine, uppercut, hooks, several different types of jabs. And while you're over there, you can pick up some of Teddy's merch at BoxRaw. Go to BoxRaw.com, search the 36 collection, 36 minutes to make life fair, Featuring Teddy Atlas, uh, they have some awesome stuff. If you're gonna go and box, dress like a boxer, wear box raw by in the Teddy Atlas collection. Teddy, let's get into UFC. Tremendous action. Let's start with the feature prelim, which was delivered. This was a free fight, bonus fight. Kelvin Gastelum versus Chris Curtis. All stand up, all action. Uh, very close decision in the end. Kelvin Gastelum gets the win, gets the decision, but Chris Curtis and his team at um, and his team, uh, including Sean Strickland, who was in his corner, felt like Curtis clearly won the fight. They point to the punch stats, which never really tell the full full story. But in the in in the punch statistic, which the fight was mainly contested on the feet, 
Curtis appears to have outstruck Gastulum at times um, or over the course of the entire fight. I thought it was really close. I wasn't watching it from a judge's perspective, but I'm curious to hear what you thought of the action from a first from a technical standpoint and then from a decision standpoint. Did you agree or disagree? Again, full transparency. I'm only going to give you what I am authorized to give you by the truth of the matter of what I actually saw. I did not, I only saw highlights. So I cannot comment on who won and who lost. All I can do, and that's why I wanted to touch on it because I thought it deserved to be touched on. I could have ignored it because they were not going to touch this because I was up to here. And for those who aren't watching and just listening, I'm, I'm touching past my eyebrows. I was up to here in fights. Okay, and and I'm tweeting like a son of a gun, and I, I got to watch all these fights. I'm going back and forth, boxing everything. You know, I I didn't. I needed an eight count. I needed Mills Lane to come in and say that's enough tonight, Teddy. No more, son. No more. I'm stopping this. This is over, Teddy. I I need that quite a few times, quite frankly, um, and not just in those times. But uh, I digress, and. I did not see it. I only saw the highlights. And this is what I want to report on. What I can report on is that I saw enough that it was like the thriller in Manila. Uh, of course, we would have to say it was the thriller in Miami. Just like Ali Frazier. It was, they took turns hitting each other. There was not a lot of missing going on. And it was just a tremendous display of heart and will. And and if there's people out there saying that Curtis should have won it, okay. I I can't judge on that because as I said, I didn't watch it. I only saw some highlights. But what I saw it it it, it compelled me to say, you know what? Normally I wouldn't talk about. It. I got to give them props. I just got to say, wow. Just just the heat that came off of it from the just from the highlights i could feel the heat <laughs> you know what i mean ken i could i could yeah. just i could feel the sparks just from that and it really was uh you know just blood and guts whatever you want to call it but will and um and heart uh from what i saw so and Look, it's it's nice that the guy gets a win after being on the on the snide, but it's also upsetting to see that kind of fight that I just described, where just like I talk about in boxing, where you don't come out of that ring in this case that cage with all of yourself that you went in there with, that a guy that should have won didn't get it. If that's the case, I'm saddened by that, and I'm disappointed by that. But what I'm not saddened by is that the display, the display of courage, uh, of showing people how to behave when the moments are at their most difficult. Not not just how to fight, not just how to fight, but how to behave. Yeah, in this case, like warriors. 
How's that, Ken? Is that is that okay? Is that fair? Perfect. That's a, that, that's an excellent description. So let's jump into the main card. We'll start with the young, hot young prospect, only 18 years old. They did a huge piece on him at the beginning. The UFC loves this kid. The fact that he's opening, he's the opening bout of a huge pay-per-view card tells you how much they like him. But as is the case often, it's like sometimes we just want things to be true and it just isn't the case. I think they want this kid to be like something that would be almost impossible at 18 years old. I think about it in terms of like Major League Baseball or in your profession, a boxer like the um, the welterweight that you trained from Puerto Rico, Wilfredo Benitez. To, to be a champion at such a young age, you think about how much experience a person needs. Like to your point, before you get in there with an experienced, seasoned guy on a world champion level, just all the crap that you have to understand and go through and be through the fire. So when you get a kid who's 18 years old, like Rojas, or like a like a Wayne Gretzky at 18 years old, he's scoring 50 goals against 27, 32-year-old men who've been doing this forever. There's a lot to be said for experience. So to have this kid thrown into this kind of fire at you know 17, now 18 years old, it's just so much to ask for. And the kid, as soon as the fight started today, I was like, Jesus, if he doesn't get him out of here in the first two or three minutes, and this isn't a knock against Shemaev, but sometimes I think about this with Shemaev. I'm like, no one has an engine like that, that goes that hard that fast and can maintain that pace and sure enough listen obviously i'm not an analyst i'm not a fight expert but i know human nature and if you start the race at a four minute mile pace and you can't run seven minute miles for 10 miles you probably ain't finishing the race and that's the only thing that i could think of was jesus this kid is awesome at jujitsu he's got he's tremendously excited man christian rodriguez just absorbed all of his energy used it against him, lost the first round, and then beat the dog crap out of him for the next two rounds. I mean, he dominated from, like, just dominated him on the feet, on the ground. And when he had him on the ground, the commentator said it. It was almost like Ro Rosas was a fish out of water. He didn't know what to do with this kid. And Rodriguez, cool, calm, and collected. Had many chances to get him in a rear naked. The commentators were saying he's purposely not doing it. I, I think if he could have choked him, he would have. But I think they also... I think a lot of people underestimate how hard it is to, to get a choke on someone who doesn't want to be choked. I, I, I say this to like Poirier all the time. When you go for a guillotine choke in practice, it's not that hard to get because most people don't want to break their neck to get out of there. In a fight where people will die, like risk their life to, to, to win that fight, they're not going to tap easily until, it's, until either they're out or they, it, 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 they've run out of options, and there's a million examples we can point to. But that's what I thought of when I saw Rosas unloaded the tank, ran out of energy, and Christian Rodriguez, all credit to this guy. He absorbed all that energy, used it against him, and looked awesome in stopping Rosas for his first loss. Sorry that was long-winded, but this fight had me excited. How'd you like it? Well, the short version of really getting right <laughs> to... And I'm not uh, trying to kid around with you going along i i love hearing what you said and um but for me if i gave the short version of it it simply came down to a very old axiom that we use in my business we we use it in other businesses or people do but in my business it's it's an old cliche-ish term he took him into deep waters and he drowned him Yep. I mean, that that would be the short version of really explaining exactly what happened. And that is, and there's one other story I can tell you. 
we had some really young, good fighters up in Catskill. I was training. And I remember one time, one of them, very, very, very talented. Me and Cus started talking about what he needed now. And he says to me, you know, I'm a young trainer. I've been working my backside off to teach the guy all the fundamentals and, you know, get him right, right? Where he could use the talent he had in the right way by learning, by having good technique. And Cuz says to me, and this is a story for everyone, I think. Cuz says to me, Teddy, he only needs three things now. So I'm all ears. Okay, Cuz, what's those three things? I thought I gave him everything he needs. He needs experience, experience, and experience. And that's what that that's that's what life comes down to sometimes. And that never showed itself more clearly. You know, that it did, as you just said, that it did Saturday night in that cage in Miami where Rosas showed talent. He was running too fast. When you don't have to experience, it's not just about conditioning. It's about the mental part, knowing you can handle yourself in a certain area that you don't know yet. That's, That's what you need. To know that, that knowledge, that confirmation. People need, they're not machines. They need to be confirmed. They need confirmation that I'll be okay. And you don't know you're going to be okay until you've been there, until you have that experience. And that's part of it. Not knowing if you can be all right in those altitudes, in that competition, at that level, until you know. And when you don't know, there's other forces that take over you run too fast the engine is the engine is running idling too fast you know when you're in an engine uh, can you know a lot about cars and and it's idling too fast and you got to slow it down you're burning up too much gas it's just idling too fast when you don't have to experience when you haven't been in those places when you haven't gotten to the point where you can be really, truly calm in an uncalm environment, you idle too fast. You're running too fast. And the experienced guys will take advantage of that. It's kind of like the story I tell my grandkids the, about the tortoise and the hare. It's a great story, Ken. It's, it's as old as time. Where the hare is so fast, the rabbit, he runs out and head, he got, and he starts, you know, running, 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 and he gets way at, but the tortoise just keeps coming. The rabbit gets lost here and there, wastes a little time, do this, do that. You know, that, that happens with inexperienced rabbits, inexperienced hares. And what happens? The tortoise just keeps chugging along, chugging along, chugging along, and he gets there first. And the rabbit can't believe it. With all the speed, with all the talent, there's something to being steady. And you can't get steady without experience and that's that's the one thing that Rosas was missing he showed in that one round that he has talent that he has talent to build on there's a reason why the the head honchos Dana White and everybody that know their business are excited about Rosas Rosas yep there's a reason he showed that in the first round but he also showed the reason why he's not ready yet because of that lack of experience. And Rodriguez showed you the value 
of experience. Yeah, talents, explosive neon talents are very important. And Rosas has probably more of those talents than Rodriguez, probably. But the quiet talents that I always talk about, I rave about, I mandate about, the talents that I talked about UConn has, the talents of being dependable, reliable, consistent, that those talents, they're very important too. They're more important. And you get those talents from experience. You, you get those, those, those elements from experience. They will, they are, they're born from experience. They're born from habits. They're born from uh, the life you've lived, the responsibilities that you have in your life. Uh, the way you go about those responsibilities, the discipline you practice in your life, but they are developed by experience. And Rosas didn't have it. And Rodriguez didn't have some of those quick twitch fibers that Rosas had, some of those genetic, you know, neon talents that Rosas has. But he did have the most important ones, and they showed, and his experience took over. As you said, he survived. He survived the first round with his experience. And then he took Rosas and he took him out into the ocean and he drowned him. That's, that, I mean, that's, that's what he did. He survived the early storm. And then he, he said, you're mine. I'm the boss. And he was the boss. And he took him, you know, he took a guy that I talk about a lot of times when I break down fights coming up, where this guy's been in the waiting pool. The waiting pool. The waiting pool. And now he's going into the deep end. Now he's going into the ocean. I don't know if he's ready. And it turned out he was going from the waiting pool to the ocean, and he wasn't ready. You know, imp very impressive, Rodriguez. Uh, very impressive, and... This kid will get better from this experience. If he's got the intangibles, the character, the wherewithals to want to really be something, if, if he's got that, those fibers, this fight will wind up being the most important fight of his career. It will. Because yeah. it's the fight that will be a formative fight that will make him get do the things he needs to do to get better, to see what he needs to see to get better to get into the the part of the journey to get better that he has to get into. This fight at the end will serve him. As I said, I agree. Uh, if, he's got, if he winds up having a great career, he'll look back at this fight and say, it's because of that fight that, that I was able to get on the track that I needed to get on uh, to improve in areas and to become what I needed to become. So um, that's, that's all I have to say about that. Two, two quick comments. The first one is when I think about the expression taking him out into the deep end, into the deep water and drowning him, uh, it reminds me of, and Rob can attest to this, is like uh, Ironman racing. Everybody wants to qualify to go to the big one in Hawaii. And to do that, you might race at, uh, I don't know, Ironman Texas, where you're in a lake and it starts in waves. So there might be 200 people in your age group, men 40 to 44, go. And you're in a lake, you got on a wetsuit, it's, it's relatively calm on a relative basis. Then you go to Hawaii and you qualify for the big show and it's 2,000 plus A-type, alpha-type guys 
and it's a mass start and, and you start floating in the water 15 minutes before the race starts in water over your head. So you're treading water. Everyone's jockeying for position. Everyone thinks they're in the Olympics. And then they say, go shoot a cannon. And you got 2000 people on top of you swimming in an open ocean with currents and waves. And that, that's what it reminds me of for just for as context for people who might not have ever been in a fight. That's what I think about is like, oh shit, we were in the, we were in the training pool and now we're like swimming with sharks and it's dangerous. People are on top of you. But um, anyway, that was a great breakdown. Thank you for that. Let's keep going with the rest of the card. Let's jump into Kevin Hall and Santiago Ponsonibio. Kevin Hall and, you know, the, 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 the commentators pointed this out. He's probably a contender for a title shot. He's willing to fight anyone, anytime. He's got a great personality. The guy seems to, like, find controversies outside of the ring. I feel like I've heard of, like, two or three different fights he's been in outside of the ring, either with Shamayev or with Stopping Crimes. Super interesting guy. Always talking during the fight. At one point, he said to Ponsonibio during the fight in Miami, do you smell weed? Uh, he's just an entertaining guy. He's got all the talents and skills that you would look for in a marquee type fighter to market around. Um, seems to be a, a very nice guy. Um, how'd you like that fight? Kevin Holland gets the win over Ponzinibbio. I'll reiterate a little bit of what you said. I, I really like Holland as a person. He's very likable, very amiable. Uh, how could you not like from at least what we know, what we see? Yeah, he's smart. He's he's got a great personality, and he's got lots of physical talent. For me, the one problem, or maybe stumbling block, that could hold hold to him a little bit from you know the very 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 top because he's got enough talent to be the very very top. There's no doubt about it. But the one possible hindrance from being at that very top or or just more consistent maybe with all the ability that he possesses is it's all what I talk about. It's all upstairs. You know, I always talk about 75% of my business is mental, no different for MMA. You know, when you're getting in that cage and the threats are what they are and the environment is what it is, uh, things change quick. It's not just physical, it's it's mental, and for me, that's that's the only that's the only thing that could stop this guy is that his head is always right, um, the mental area, uh, and um, before you get into the breakdown, I forgot to add. He obviously he won by a third round stoppage. I think I failed to mention that great stoppage, stopping Ponzinibbio is a, is, a, yeah. is a quite yeah, a no, uh, feather in his cap. But no, it was put listen. Him, put him away on his feet. What he what he did first of all, I wanted to start with that part that I, this guy could be as good as anybody because he I see that kind of talent, and I see that he's a promoters the light maybe the if you want him to wear the black hat he's not going to do that he's not the bad guy he's not the villain he's a good guy but but he, he'd actually but, be a good candidate to work with you i think that you would work really well with a guy like that so if he's watching he looks Kevin like a Holland, good guy and step look up your game he's a promoter's dream again He's not Conor McGregor who could be the bad guy and all that stuff and say certain things. And Henry Cicudo, who I think is a great guy from what I've been told. But, you know, again, they have to, they have to promote themselves to make money, you know, to get, to get looked at, so to speak, as good as they are. And so they have to pick, you know, a character so to, to play, so to speak. But for me, Holland 
plays himself to a certain extent. He's an amiable, great personality, a people's person. I think he's a promoter's dream. Again, even though he's not doing the derogatory things, the, the crazy things that get a lot of attention in the promotional world, I like what he does. Um, he's a fun guy to, to see and to be around to hear. Uh, he's, like I said, as far as the talent meter, the talent meter goes way up. It goes way up. It, it will come down to like it does always to the mental side. How consistent he can be, you know, in this realm of pressure, in this, in this, in, in, in this cauldron, this this cauldron of fire that that these guys have to go into. Forget about the physical side. You know, how consistent can he be? How strong can he be in those areas from a mental standpoint? For me, that comes down to confidence. It comes down to true belief. You know, all of those things. It comes down to mental toughness, all of it. So that's, if he's got that part uh, put away, then this guy, this guy could be a problem for anyone. As far as, obviously, he's a terrific striker. Uh, he 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 stopped Ponsibio Ponsin. How do you pronounce Ponsinibio? Yeah, Ponsinibio. That's easy for you to say. Uh, he <laughs> he um he stopped Ponsinibio because Ponsinibio made a technical mistake. Uh, in my book, he did a real no no. If a guy does this in the ring while they're training with me. In camp, I get in the ring and I, I, I actually stop the sparring and say, no, 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 no. You, you got to correct this because this is taboo. This is something that will get you knocked out if you keep doing it. And that's going straight back in front of your opponent. You can't just go straight back from the wrong distance in front of your opponent. Because if your opponent follows you, which Holland did, give him credit. Right away, he was calm. He knew what to do. He followed him. He stepped out with him. And when you step out with a guy going straight back, he that guy is still in the line of fire. And he was in the line of fire. Holland stepped with him, nailed him on the way out, and put an end to the night uh, for Ponsonibio and put an end to me having to pronounce his name anymore. So credit to Holland. I really like you. Uh you're fun to watch. You're as talented as hell. I hope it all comes together for you. Um, I really do. And uh, I think that might have been the fight that our tweet got up on the air. I, I, I don't know exactly which one it was, but that might have been the one that we actually got up to, you know, on the Broadway again, you know, which gets me excited. Yep. It gets, me <laughs> it gets me, you know, misty-eyed. Like, I don't know. But anyway, next. Next up, co-main Gilbert Burns and uh, Jorge Masvidal. Jorge Masvidal, obviously friend of the show, has been on a couple of times. Um, tough loss for Georgie. Uh, I think it's probably his last fight. He didn't use the word retire, which I think is a key. Uh, he, he, which intimated, is a key right? he intimated. He intimated. He intimated. But if you say 
This is according to Chill Sun. And if you say retired versus implying you're officially retired, and if you want to fight the next day, you got to go six months. He was thanking everybody. He was thanking everybody, thanking the sport, telling him he he did a great job of talking afterwards. He really did. I thought he uh, he did himself proud. Um, Showed class. They both did. Burns is all class too. Um, What a warrior. But. You know, and same thing with Masvidal. Um, You got to give him a lot of credit where he came from. I mean, he came from the Kimbo Slice uh, school of backyard YouTube fighting that nobody had ever heard of nobody had ever seen and and then probably one of the most intimidating things i've ever watched on youtube in the early days when you see there's something about seeing two grown men who know how to fight fight in the street isn't i don't care who you are you see you hear those punches hitting face you're like oh shit someone's getting hurt someone's gonna get hurt here get the kids out of here he came from there extraordinary journey extraordinary journey and look where he got to the pinnacle of the sport uh, it really give him credit um uh, you know it just when i say the pinnacle i know he didn't win a title but he was in ti- he was in the biggest fights he was in title fights he fought the best fighters he had 50 fights he's 39 years old he's at the end of the track now the end of the road now but Give him credit for the career he's had. Give him credit for the way that he conducted himself afterwards. You know, it it reminded me his speech afterwards, which I was really touched by. I thought it was, I love when these guys take a moment to say things that are worthy things for people to hear that could impact people, help people, uh, help the future generations in this case. And the way he talked was what I used to, talk about on ESPN. I used to talk about how boxing saves people's lives. How many kids that have saved their life. And that nobody talks about that. They talk about the brutality, the knockouts, the blood, all of that, the dangers, but not about how it's saved so many kids' lives. Uh, Changed them, turned them around. Not only made money for them, but made men out of them, made better people out of them, gave them direction that they didn't have. That boxing did that. I saw an example. I was listening to him, and I was saying, wow, MMA, UFC does the same thing. Does the same thing. And he basically was saying that UFC saved his life, that, that it took this kid that had nothing, whatever he was, and, and it just gave him, it gave him a life. It, it, I don't know if it saved his life, but it, it definitely bettered his life and bettered him in turn as a person, as he evolved to the things he evolved in that life, in that experience, in that journey. So I was very impressed by that. I, I was impressed that he had the right fight plan. Obviously, he was a big underdog. I was impressed that he had the right fight plan uh, where he, he knew that he had to strike. He didn't want to go on a mat. He's very good at escaping takedowns and he did a great job of surviving and escaping takedowns when he had to Masvidal and he's really good at it but he didn't want to be on the mat earning his living trying to win a fight with this jujitsu master and grappling master of Burns so he was striking he had the right plan he was moving trying to keep more balance trying to you know mix things up enough where Burns couldn't get set and, you know, just just keep changing things enough. Uh, 
as I said, keeping Burns off stride. And it, he did a great job in the first round of making it a very close round. He probably lost the round because at the end, Burns took him down. And that it wasn't much to separate the round. So that probably won the round for, Maz, for, I mean, for Burns. But either way, it was a it was a smart round for him. At, at 39 years of age, he had to be smart. He had to come up with a specific plan. He did. He gave himself the best chance he had at this point in his life and career to win, to be competitive. It wasn't to be. After the first round, you got the sense the tide was coming in. You know what I mean, Ken? Yeah, that the, sure. the, the tide was coming in. Because then Burns said, okay, freak this. I'm, I'm going to get him to my place of geography i always talk about it's always about the geography getting to the geography that fits you with your skill levels the best and for burns who was to take him down and get him to the mat and he got him to the mat he controlled the round masvidal again as i said did a great job surviving the, uh, when he had to burns dominated the round won the round again took it to his forte took it to where, you know, it made sense for Burns. And then the third round, I was very impressed with Burns. I'll tell you why. And with Masvidal, because he, he kept it competitive. But I'll tell you why. And, and Masvidal did everything he could, as I said, at this point in his career, to have a chance. But what impressed me about Burns was he could have went to the mat again. And, you know, obviously he has the huge, huge, huge advantage there. But instead, he went into the wheelhouse of Masvidal, where Masvidal had the best chance to win, striking. And he, for the most part, he struck with him. And he won that game. He landed enough hard right hands, and Masvidal showed a good chin. He took some really, really... Good right, because I know that Usman in the second fight had knocked him out, but and some people would say, well, what if he can Listen, Burns is strong. He's a physically strong son of a gun, whether on the mat or landed a punch. And he landed some good right hands on Masvidal, and Masvidal handled him pretty, pretty damn good. He got impacted, but he handled him damn good. And I was impressed that, again, that Burns went to the strength, the wheelhouse, of what Masvidal is good at. And that's how he finished out. He won the third round in his house, so to speak. You know, striking. And he landed enough big right hands, uh, you know, to, to make it very clear that he was the winner. And I just want to applaud Burns for the class he showed afterwards and the warrior he's been, he deserves to get, you know, uh, to get a title fight. Um, he's only fought the best for so many years. Uh, he, you know, he, he gets in with anybody and he's he's got a chance with anybody. But I want to congratulate Masvidal for the career that he had uh, and for all the moments he gave us. He gave us a lot of great moments. If this is the end, I think it is. He gave it because he's he he took care of his family. He took care of his family. He made a lot of money late in his career. God bless him. And so I really believe that he's gone. And again, thank you, George, for 
the moments you gave us. You gave us some real great highlights. You always gave everything you had. Thank you for teaching us that a kid can come from almost anywhere and reach his dreams if his dream's strong enough, if it's strong enough, if he's strong enough with that dream to work hard enough and not give up on that dream. I mean, where you came from, wow, wow, wow. So, again, congratulations. Enjoy whatever's in your future. You, you earned it. You deserve it. And Burns, I want to see him in there with a, you know, in a title fight. Couldn't agree more. Congrats to George Masvidal. Great career. Good man. Good luck with the new boxing promotion. Hope everything goes well. And one other uh, thing I want to add on. Like him yeah. or not, I also love about Masvidal, he says what he believes. He's not afraid. You know, he's not politically correct. He's not being worried about <laughs> this. Well, yeah, that's pretty. That's Captain Obvious, I guess, right? Uh, <laughs> but he's not afraid to say what he, and I appreciate people like that, especially today more than ever. That's why I appreciate Charles Barkley, and I love Charles Barkley so much for the same reason, for the same reason. And um, anyway, that's all. I just want to throw that in. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Um, let's get into the main event. What a freaking fight. Israel Adesanya gets his vengeance. So much to talk about here. I'll let you break down the X's and O's and the actual, actual strategy of the fight, as George Bush might say. But um, the one thing I've always I've always said this, I, I, I'm not a fan of taunting people once you've knocked them out. I, I wasn't a fan of the bow and arrow thing. But what I was a fan of, after Alex knocked Izzy out in, in kickboxing, his, I think, might have been at the time, like five-year-old kid, got into the ring, stood right beside Izzy and pretended he was being knocked out and laying on the floor unconscious. And now look, kids are kids. But I can promise you, if I ever saw my kids disrespect someone like that, they'd catch him in the fifth row when I put a boot up his ass. It's unacceptable. And now maybe Alex didn't see it, so I'm not trying to be critical. But I, what I will say is, for Izzy then to be in the moment, to have just knocked this guy out, he described it as the, the happiest he's ever been in his life. He had a whole speech, which I loved at the end. But to go and find his son, find the 12-year-old son, point to him, and then mock being knocked out himself, I thought was like, hey, if you didn't learn your lesson, if someone didn't tell you after you mocked this guy about being knocked out in a fight for money, that that wasn't appropriate. You got a, taught a tough lesson in front of a humongous audience sure of millions did. of people sure on did. pay-per-view. This is not the way to behave. I, like I said, I don't like when people show up, other people, especially when they're knocked out. I get it. It's part of the emotions of the thing. I can let some stuff go. This is me personally. My, some people listening might be like, who gives a shit what Ken thinks? I don't disagree. No, no, no. But listen, this, these are my right opinions. It, and you're saying it for specific reasons, and you're consistent yep. with it. The same way as yep. we said it after Plant knocked out. Knocked yeah, out I don't um, like it. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Darrell. Uh, Darrell. That you know, and he started what more digging. What vengeance a, can you get? You've you know, he started digging. He's yeah, he started making believe he was digging dirt and throwing it into his grave, whatever. Yeah. You know, and we like Plant as a fighter, but we didn't like that. You know, we we didn't no. think it was necessary. It it took away from the moment. It didn't add to it. Yes. Yes, and then I loved after the fight they um, I post I re I reshared this on tweet on Twitter I think you might have seen it as well Izzy talking to Perea after the fight and telling him like you're a great champion congratulations but I also liked Izzy's 
response at the press conference because look if i'm izzy i'm not chomping at the bit to get back in there with this guy he's now been knocked out twice he's beat him once he lost a controversial decision but izzy said like hey i defended this title i think seven times this guy knocked me out i came back out the immediate rematch knocked him out i'm not looking to get back in there let him go through some of the battles i've had to go through to get to this point which i kind of agree with i just don't know who else is left for him in that division but izzy showed total class on both guys when they saw each other after the fight congratulations to both awesome fight how'd you like it what'd you think of the uh, actual technicalities there Listen, I, uh, as he's a friend of ours, he's been on the show, so I was rooting for him. And I felt good that I picked him to win. Even though, and I pointed it out, quite frankly, it did look like Pereira, after having beaten him three times, um, knocked him out in the last fight, you know, uh, and then, of course, knocked him out in a kickboxing and then beat him in an amateur fight, whatever. It did seem like he had his number, that, that some fighters just have other guys' number you know, style-wise, whatever it is. And, and they can even get into their head, like, you know, where part of it is they got their number technically, physically, and, and mentally. So it seemed like maybe that was the could be the case. And I do what I do when I break down fights. I covered everything, and I broke all that. And then I made my pick, and I picked Izzy. And a lot of people said, why would you pick Izzy? Because it does look like the other guy's got his number. And I'll tell you why. I thought he was going to change his area code and he wouldn't have his number anymore. And what I mean by that, I picked him not because of his athleticism. Izzy is one of the most athletic fighters you're ever going to see. One of the most talented fighters you're ever going to run across. I didn't pick him for that. I picked him for this. For those who are not watching, I pointed to my head. I picked him for the mental domain, the psychological domain, the mental part. I just thought that he was mentally strong enough to do something that's very difficult, to be like a great golfer, except that it's a lot more painful than golf, where a golfer puts a ball, I can't play at all, but puts a ball into the, into the water. And then the next shot, he's got to put it on the green. He's got to erase that memory, and he's got to put it on the green. I thought that he had that ability. I thought he had the mental capacity, Izzy, the mental strength and toughness, fortitude, cerebralness, to separate what happened and do what he had to do to win this fight. It wasn't because of his athleticism. His talent. I know that that's how he won his fight, with his physical talent. Uh, that's at least the way it looked like he won his fight. But I am telling you, as a guy that's been in the fight business 50 years, he really won this fight. I know the right hand, I get it. He won this fight because he's mentally advanced enough, strong enough, developed enough, forged enough to be able to take the talent that he had and use it in an environment that couldn't be more difficult. Getting into a cage is always difficult, or a ring. But getting into one with a guy who's beaten you three times, who's knocked you out the last time you were there, with no buffer, no in-between, no, no tune-up fight, no confidence builder,
To do that, you have to have great mental tenacity. And he has it. And you got to have more than that. You have to have great mental depth where he has that. He's a, he, he's a very deep dude, so to speak. And, and he's, he kind of is on my way. He thinks the way, I, I love the way he thinks because I, don't, I think that way. But I don't see too many people that necessarily do to those depths of the mental places. And it's, I find it fascinating that he's got that mix of physical ability and the mental dimensions that I speak of. And this is what I mean by not just being mentally tough. He's a guy that you have to believe. Part of it's confidence, discipline, all of those intangibles, all of those elements. But part of it is you have to believe, truly believe, truly believe that you're destined, that that fate, destiny, whatever you want to believe, but truly believe you were born for this. Truly believe that it's your calling. Truly believe, truly, truly, truly believe. And you ready for this part, Ken? It's a little different. Yep. That this was meant to be. Wow! Teddy, are you kidding me? Truly believe that you are such a explorer of yourself and you're the depths of where you can go, which I think is he is, that this was necessary to continue the exploration. That this, I often talk, you hear me talk about it, Ken, on the show where I talk about fighters that are special or the ones that can go into rooms in their house, so to speak, in their mind, in their house, that can go and open doors that have never been opened up in their house, that they never even knew existed, to open up new rooms in their house that could lead to further places of development, that could lead to things that most people will never get to because they don't know they have the capacity. They don't know that there is a room in their house, so to speak, to open that door to go to a further place. Izzy believes that. I swear I believe that. We're going to have him on the show, I hope. He's been on before. I know we reached out for him. He's probably traveling to New Zealand. I don't know, but I love the game. Well, he would have to be up early because I saw him partying with Odell Beckham Jr. after the fight in Miami. Oh, he deserved it. He earned it. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Eddie is in Miami. For sure. Well, what the hell? What's the sense of being in Miami? And I think he made Drake. I think Drake bet a million dollars on him to win. Wow. I saw they were betting tickets on the internet anyway. Million dollars. Here's the thing to finish it up. I would love to have him on to just say what I just said and say, am I right? And I I know I'm right. I feel if I know my business and I know the psychological, you know, areas of my business, which I have to know, not just X's and O's, I, I know I'm right. That he looked at this as an opportunity, again, as his destiny, as his responsibility, as his chance to now open up another door and to take something that would be complete darkness for most people and to make it into light. And he touched on that. He even said something very quick. So he didn't go deep, but he even touched on I said, I know what he's talking about. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I I believe that he's of that of that belief, of that mindset where he looked at this as this is a chance. There's not darkness here. There's light. There's a light now. I'm I'm going to I'm going to get past the darkness of the loss and I'm going to find the light that this loss has created. It has created an opportunity for me to find light that I didn't even know existed. Yeah, I'm good. I won titles. I did this. I did that. But I could be even better. There's more to me. There's more rooms. Again, I'm going to go there. There's more doors to open up in Izzy's world. And he looked at this as a chance to open those doors. As as other people would look at it as just darkness. And they'd be scrambling around like you do in a room when there's no light. Trying to find the light switch. Oh my God, I hope I can find the light switch. I got... I believe that he knew that this was brought upon for a reason and he understood the reason. It was to to bring more light, not to bring darkness, but that this situation of defeat, of, of terrible defeat that he went through and suffered through, that it was to open his eyes. To, to, to the light that hadn't been found yet that he searches for because he's that cerebral that he's searching for something more how can I get better how can I go further you know like those guys that go to the to the to the Tibet hills the Tibet mountains looking for something you know looking you know going up there looking looking for something that that it's going to make their life more complete. That's going to bring them to a, a a further place of of understanding, you know, in whatever it is that they're dealing with. I I really believe that. I really believe that Izzy felt that this was going to take him to a further place of development, a further place of understanding. It was up to him now to follow the light, not 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 just deal with the darkness but to follow the light that this actually was creating an opportunity for more light to get to a to get to another mountain another mountain that can bring his skills out that haven't been brought out yet as good as they've been they haven't brought out been brought out to the utmost and i think that belief that confidence that comfort with that allowed him to have the training camp he had, the belief he had, keep it quiet, but know. Kind of almost know like it's been written already. Like I really feel he felt that way, like it's been written now. This all happened for a reason. It's been written. I got to go now. And I just have to, I, I just have to make it official and color it in, so to speak. It's been written. I just got to sign off. And I saw him in the tunnel, and I know how to read people in this business after all the years, and I could see if somebody in this kind of event, this kind of moment, this kind of pressure, and it's great pressure coming off a knockout loss, unbelievable pressure. It's like a fog where you can't breathe. There, some guys, they get, they get overridden by the fog, by the mist that comes, by the pressure. It, it becomes too much, 
and they almost become zombies. They're there, but they're not there. Yeah, they're, they're, they're sitting in the passenger seat, not the driver's seat uh, of the car. Uh, like I said, they're there, but they're not there. They're, they're succumbing to it without even knowing it. Uh, you know what I'm describing, Ken? You understand that yeah. even when you do the marathons. Like, like you know, the pressure, the that, that element can become too much for some people. And especially when you're going into the ring where there's danger, and now you're going in the ring with a guy who already knocked you out where you know the danger. And I could see that he had the fog lights. You know, you, you got fog lights on a car to cut through the fog. He's got the ability to cut through that fog. He wasn't, he wasn't being controlled by the fog. He, he wasn't succumbing to He wasn't in la-la land, you know, in the twilight zone where he was there, but he wasn't there. He was fully there. And you know what gave me proof? When I saw him in the tunnel, and he's all by himself, and he's talking to himself. And all of a sudden, he says, and some of the stuff we hear before becomes cliche. But it just becomes, you know, another, just more noise, another sound bite. But it wasn't a sound bite with him. I saw him in the tunnel, and when he said it, I, I just could sense the realness of it. He said, Let's go. This is my effing house. This is my effing house. He literally meant it. I, I really believe it. That in his mind, what I talked about, that he went to another room in the house, that this is my house. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is where I was put. And and I'm going to go run things in my house. And you could see how clear his mind was, his his eyes i said wow this guy's you know we like to say locked in right focus locked in but this guy's locked in this guy is where he needs to be and then he had the right fight plan he had to be responsible but here's the difference nobody touched on this and they got the greatest commentators in the world but they touched on everything else that mattered anyway but here's the thing for me ken he went out there and he had to, we thought, control range, give angles, whatever, keep this tremendous puncher from being set, don't make any mistakes, be responsible. But at the same time, he had to have an offensive posture too, not with defensive responsibility, but it had to be an offensive posture with defensive responsibility where he gave the guys something to think about, where... He wasn't just moving, where he was set to punch, where he wasn't just running, so to speak, where the guy could catch him on the way out, where the guy could track him down, where the guy could bully him around, where the guy could grow even more, knowing that, that, he, you know, that he controlled him. He had to be smart, control range, but the best of both worlds. He had to be set, too, to offer offense, to get his respect to be able to capitalize when that moment will come. And you know what he did? You've been in the gym with me. You've heard me use this phrase. He became a jaguar. He grabbed the, he, his feet became jaguar claws, became leopard claws, where he, he clawed into the floor. He still stepped off, but he didn't, he didn't skate off. He didn't run off. He stepped off, he grabbed a hold and dug into the floor where he had the strength of the floor, 
where he was set underneath him to punch, where the other guy knew it, where the other guy couldn't take complete liberties. He set, he, he set a pattern, a tone in that first round. You know what the first round was all about? It was all about exercising the ghost, chasing the ghost from past out of his attic. Get the hell out of my freaking attic, you son of a bees. Get out of my attic. And he set the tone by having a round where it was a very close round, but it didn't matter. It was a competitive close round, but it was a round he needed to exercise the ghost to get to the next stage of this fight. And he believed that there was going to be a moment. He believed that, that it was that was ordained, that there's going to be a moment. And then what happens? So he gets through, he, he goes back to his corner with the confidence, with the ghost removed. That's what he needed. It didn't matter if he won the round. He went back that he had that kind of round. And now he comes out for the second round, and there's no doubt. The bigger, stronger monster, Pereira, is winning. He hurts him with a leg kick. He hits him with a leg kick. He puts him up against the ropes or in, in reality the, the cage. He puts him up against the cage. He hits him a good body shot. I don't know if anybody saw that. He and and he hit him with a knee, but it wasn't nothing was purely clean. But it was enough it was enough to, to impact him. He hit him with some punches. It impacted him, but it wasn't clean, clean. He was fine. He was good. He was still together. His vision was there. He had the night goggles on. He was seeing everything. And at that moment, I transported somewhere else in my mind. You know where I transported? Where I looked at this. I said, oh my God, this is eerie, eerily similar and reminiscent of something that I know. Something I've seen before. And you know what it was? What's Zaire. That? It was Zaire. It was George Foreman and Muhammad Ali. And Ali, late in the fight, playing the rope-a-dope. And all the big shots from the monster. And Pereira's the monster. The big bully, if you will. The big, powerful guy that could knock a tree down. He, he, he was Foreman. He represented Foreman. Pereira was Foreman. And undefeated the whole thing. And he's throwing these these shots you know and he's on the rope i know it's not the rope it was the cage he was doing the cage of dope and he's doing the cage of dope he's against the cage and and i'm watching him i said oh my goodness oh my god he's ali right now he's muhammad ali the mindset everything where he's got this monster in front of him he knows what he's gonna do he knows the moment's gonna come he knows he's gonna get a moment He's not terrified. He's not terribly shaken. He got buzzed a little. He's fine. He's together. He's looking for that moment. He's searching for that moment. He's in the place he needs to be. And then all of a sudden, bang! And you know why he bang? Because he made a basic mistake that a lot of these guys in boxing make and in MMA, where... There it is. Thank you, Rob. Thank you so much. And uh, don't run it. Don't run it. Wait till I tell you. Wait till I tell you. Beautiful. He made a mistake. And there it is. There's the proof to the put. There, 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 you can't get more proof than what I'm saying. I'm saying it and I'm showing it. 
He made a mistake that is a taboo thing in my gym. And when I teach a fighter, the one thing they can never do, ever, even if they get away with it, they can't lead with a left hook in front because you know what you're in front of? You're in front of the right hand. And you know what? If you ever learned anything about simple geometry, straight beats round. A straight right hand beats a round hook. And when I never, ever, 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 ever allow my fighters to lead with left hook. I drill them to they're sick of hearing me. You can't lead with a left hook in front of a guy because if you do, you might get hit a right hand. And that's exactly what happened. He led with the left hook in front, and now you can run it, Rob. Thank you so much. He led with the left hook in front, and he threw the nice body shot I talked about, right? And then he... He, the knee, everything I talked about, but he's still together. He's on the ropes. He's still together. And now he's going to lead with a left hook. Bang! The right hand gets there right on the chin. And I guarantee you he never saw it. I guarantee you that the last thing Pereira remembered was he was about to land the left hook. And it never landed. And then somebody had to shake him and wake him up and say, son... Uh, you have to get up, and uh, it's over. And then the follow-up, he reloaded, He followed, and the second one was placed behind the ear. That's a, that is a damning place to get hit because when you get hit there, it destroys your equilibrium. So he's gone now. He's completely gone now. It all starts with the opportunity given him, the mistake by Pereira. Pereira opened up the door to his own demise. He didn't realize it. He probably does now. He opened the door to his own demise by leading with a left hook. There it is. There was no open door before. Now the door was open, and that's what Izzy was. Izzy knew he was ordained for this. Izzy knew that that moment would, and there it was. There it was, like, okay, I know what to do. I'm prepared for this moment. I kept myself together. And he shot the right hand in that open window, that open door. He landed it. He reloaded. He landed the second one. Then he came with the hammer fist. And let me, let me qualify something with that. Uh, it's important. A lot of people thought, oh, that was anger. That was unnecessary. That was anger. That was that. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. That was Izzy being prepared, so locked in. It had nothing to do with anger. Matter of fact, I would argue it's the opposite. He was ice cold. He, it was no emotions of anger at all. It was that was that was that was brought that was brought along by his mindset of kill or be killed. And I don't mean literally, but you guys know what I mean. Kill or be killed. That I'm in there with a killer. I'm in there with a guy that knocked me out uh, twice. I conquer or be conquered. I have to be of the mindset. I have to make sure that this guy, is that I finish him. He's a dangerous guy. He finished me twice. I have to be locked into the mindset, a cold mindset, not an angry one. A cold as ice mindset that when my opportunity comes, and it will come, I have to make sure that he's gone. I have to make sure that he's gone. Because, and I'm going to take it to another deep place that I think Izzy is, 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 is a believer of. I really 
gonna. I I really mean it. For Izzy, I think that it was all about live or die. Now, what do I mean by that? Literally, no. But there's different. There's a different form of living, Ken. Everyone thinks living is only the physical form. That's the main form. We have to breathe. We have to be alive. I get it. But there's a spiritual form. There's an emotional form. There's another form of living. Because there's some people that are just existing. In the real world of what I consider and we consider to be really vibrant and living, existing is not it. It's existing. I know you're still bringing oxygen in and you're still running blood through your arteries and through your, through your heart and everything else, but you're not truly living. You, if you're existing, you're not living. You're either existing or living. And if you're existing, you're already dead. You just don't know it yet. And for Izzy, that's what it can. I know I went deep today, but I'm telling you, we got to get him on. I, I, you, uh, Rob sent this to him. Let him hear it. And, and let him... Let him Tell us whether or not he concurs or he doesn't with what I'm saying. But for him, it was about either existing or living. And there was no there was there was no other options for him. It was it was literally in his mind, live or die. Live or die. And so he understood that if he didn't win this fight, he he was to a certain extent he was only gonna be existing. And he wanted to live. So it came to having to make sure that this was final. This was final. There was one shot at it, and he couldn't mess up. So that's why the hammer fist. The hammer fist was preordained. Like it was automatic. Like, I, the, you know, I, I got to make sure that this is done. It's got to really be done. And that's why that came. Thank God. Thank God. That was his mindset. But thank God that we had a real professional ref. And they have good refs in MMA, in the UFC. Because if that ref doesn't know his job and do his job, there's a second one and a third one coming. Because, again, it wasn't a... It was, it was what I just said. He was a terminator now. At that point, he turned into a Terminator that it was just about live or die, conquer or be conquered. So there was going to be another one coming too. So thank God that ref did his job where he was right there to stop the next one, the second one from coming and save Pereira from getting hit that one. Um, that I'm so happy with Izzy. And the last thing I want to say, I'm proud of the way he conducted himself afterwards because he saw a teaching moment. It wasn't only about him. He said, you know what? I could be greater than me. I could be bigger than just me right now. I have the world listening to me right now, a certain part of it, and I can give a teaching lesson. I can give a teaching moment where I can help people. And I really believe that's why he did it, where he took that moment he would, first of all, to say something that was beautiful. He said, I just wish all of you could have the pure, 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 unadulterated joy that I'm experiencing right now. 
I just, I, I just wished I could share that with everybody. And he meant it. That was a nice thing. That was a beautiful thing. But then when he said afterwards about basically, no matter what's happened to you in your life, no matter how dark it's gotten, no matter how impossible it might feel, it's always possible. As long as you don't believe the light's out. No matter what, as long as you do not permit the light to be out. As long as you continue to strive for more light and not be conquered by the dark. Not live in the dark. Not just allow yourself to vanquish and sit in the dark, that you look for the light. And he was given, he was just given a, an opportunity to give a pep talk, a life lesson talk to everybody. I, I, I thought it was great that he took the time and he felt it in a genuine way to do that. Uh, I thought it was great. I thought it was a fitting end to an incredible evening and an incredible event and an incredible comeback and an incredible happening uh, of what he did to come back with all the ghosts, all the gargoyles. Can you imagine all the boogeymen that, that were trying to surround him in his mind, you know, after what he went through, um, losing to this guy for the third straight time, for him to come back and, and vanquish this guy and to do it the way he did it. I, I it was it was brilliant it was uh, it, it was uh it was it was something that uh you you felt good that you were able to witness it because as i said it it was a teaching moment for everybody yeah reminds me of that expression in life the game's not over until you win and in life it's not over until you put in the ground so no matter what happens to you there's still until you've consciously quit or given up the game never ends it oh, never ends you know sometimes at the end of a round you see a guy with like oh 10 more seconds he kills he knocks this guy out well in life you get that extra 10 seconds. Unless you die, you're still in the fight. So keep punching. Izzy gave every everyone uh, something to and aspire you know, to be. Ken, it really was that Zaire moment. It really was. I was I was like, and I tweeted it. I tweeted it. And then what do I hear the guys say? I hear them say, Muhammad Ali, George Foreman. I was like, wow. Wow. I forget who said it. I think Izzy said it. And I think one of the commentators... You know, and I said, "Wow, that's that's exactly what I felt. That's exactly." And Izzy yeah. later on in his um, he was doing uh, interviews afterwards. Press conference, yeah, in the press conference, he 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 mentioned he said something about me. You know, whatever he said something about that he had been watching the fireman speech from from one of the fights that I was in a corner with one of my fighters, and you know, it was about basically you know for him it it related. You know what I mean? It, it, yeah. He related to it. It, 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 it was. It made sense for him to hear that because he was he was going into the fire. You know, he was of facing course. a he was facing a fire. But that George Foreman, I'm telling you, when I was watching, I was saying, "Wow, I know what he's going to do. He's going to shoot the right hand just like 
Muhammad Ali did against George Foreman when George Foreman threw a wide punch or, or a, a, a slow jab, whatever he threw yeah. the right hand over. I don't know if it was inside yeah. a hook or, or, or on top of a, a jab, but I said it's the same thing. And sure enough, sure enough, it was that, it really was that Muhammad Ali, George Foreman moment. Yeah, no, I agree. That is, uh, well, Teddy, I think we've broken broken it all down this week. The other thing I want to talk to you about next week, we don't have time today, but uh, the disappearance of Otto Wallen. My friend Frank Shattuck, the tailor, he always asks me, what do you think is going on with Otto Wallen? He looks great against Tyson Fury. The guy can't get a fight to save his life. Him and his trainer, Joey Gamach, that's the Swedish heavyweight who was in, who gave Fury all he could handle. You got anything else before we say goodbye? Ah, I think that's enough. Um, yeah. uh, that's plenty. Yeah, but uh, Wallen, yeah. I could tell you one thing. My friend David Berlin, who's a, one of the attorneys for my foundation, he's been with me for years, and his his um, he's uh, he's promoted uh, by Dimitri uh, Salida, I believe yeah. Dimitri Salida. Um, and and like I said, David Berlin is his manager. Uh, I know they have him, and. Uh, I know that they've, you know, they they got him some. They had a deal with Showtime, I believe, or Showbox, where they had gotten him one or two fights there. But I don't know what's going on. I don't know really if he's been injured or if yeah, it's no, just. Yeah, we'll come back to it next week. Stuff. I'm sure. Make I'm sure. Given Fury fits in that fight. Ain't helping his prospects for getting in against anyone other than someone who has to fight him. But we'll cover it all next week. Teddy, thanks for all the breakdowns. This was incredibly thorough. We gave you over two hours of uh, analysis and breakdowns here. Hope to have um, Izzy on the show. And um, we'll talk about it more next week because the fight's not for two weeks. But we've got a fight plan coming out with Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis. We were in the ring in um, the Trinity Boxing Club. In, coming out uh, Wednesday, right? Wednesday. So. Yep, ne next Wednesday. Yep, next Wednesday. The fight's a week from Saturday. Saturday, so we'll talk about that yeah. next week as well but with that thanks everyone for being with us hope you enjoyed this teddy thank you have a great week and we'll see everyone next week